Well, let's take our, our uh, bulletins and our Bibles and turn to, uh, turn to the Scriptures found on pages 8, 9, and 10 of your bulletin, as well as in the Bible pages Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. This, of course, is as Jesus is moving down toward Jerusalem for the last seen and the major work of his life, and we read now beginning at God's word in verse 1. Then Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan, and again crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now let us pray. O Lord, from your word we seek light and understanding. When we consult only ourselves, we become confused and our lives filled with foolishness. But when we hear your word and when it directs our thoughts and our actions, we become wise. That's because you made the world and all that is in it, and you know how it operates and how it should operate. And we pray this day as we turn to your word that you would direct our hearts and our thoughts in such a way as to enliven and enrich our marriages and then to teach us for those who are not yet married and maybe what to look for, what to seek, and what to find. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our husband. And we, your church, cling to you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your gentleness, your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this section obviously has a lot to do about divorce and some about marriage, so we're going to take them both up in kind of reverse order this morning. He talks about divorce first as they come to kind of trip him up with another question, and then he goes on to speak about marriage, and we're going to talk about marriage first. It is then and now a controversial topic. We must assume that they brought this question to Jesus because they wanted to trip him up. This is one of several questions that the Pharisees brought, but it was also one of current controversy, evidently. There was some confusion then and now as to what the Bible taught. If we look not just in this passage, but at the whole sweep of Scripture, we know that marriage is God's idea. Most of what I have to say this morning is fading from the understanding of the people that we know, the people that are coming up in this world the people that are forming the new generations in this culture and other cultures. They either didn't know it to begin with or they've forgotten it because we haven't emphasized it like we should. 
Marriage is God's idea. It is not one of the grand traditions of men. Mankind has added marriage to its various societies, but for the Christian and for the Jew and for those who are people of the book, it's very clear that marriage is God's idea, and it is a gift. We go down through the beginning chapters of Genesis, and we read that he did this, and it was good, and he did that, and it was good, and he did this, and it was good, and, it was, and he did that, and it was good. And the first non-benediction, the first malediction that we come to is in chapter 2, when he saw the man who was alone, and he saw that it was not good that he should be alone. In other words, the animals and the creation were, in some degree, insufficient for the happiness of Adam. They were not entirely adequate to filling his heart with joy. So he made woman, and he gave them each other as a marriage covenant and contract to build upon as a basic building block of human society. Now, almost every society has some form of marriage. Some kind of, sometimes it's polygamy, sometimes it's multiple monogamies, sometimes it's serial divorces, as we seem to have taken up. Lots of different ideas about how marriage should be organized. But God says, this is my idea, and this is how it should be organized. It's not just a social convention. I didn't give it to you just for the ordering of life. I gave it to you as a gift, as a special privilege, as a divinely appointed means for happiness in this world. And we ought not to alter it from its intended design. As I say, the human race seems to have a very deep idea that marriage is a good thing. And so in various forms, it has adopted it. Anthropologists have been telling us for years that marriage is a building block of almost every society in one form or another. But God has ordered it his way. Man wants to change that. And human beings now and always have thought they knew better. Abraham took multiple wives. It was a problem. It caused untold misery. And to some extent, it can be traced. The Middle Eastern problems today can be traced to the multiple wives that Abraham took. He was to have one wife, Sarah. But he thought something else needed to be done. He needed to either do something for God or with God in having a child to be the promised seed of the nations. And now look what's happened. The Bible is serious in this in saying that one man and one woman come together before God. We should say, too, though, that it is not for everyone. There is no universal call to be married in the Scriptures. Some remain single. Jesus, Paul, many others have found happiness and fulfillment outside of the covenant of marriage. It's not for everyone. It is a calling. It is something that God calls us to. And if we get married because our friends are, we're headed down the wrong road. If we get married 
to try to replicate what our parents had or grandparents had, again, we are headed down the wrong road. This is a calling. What is its foundation? Well, some would say affection. And when affection goes out of marriage, then the marriage dies. Well, certainly it's an important block, but it's not the foundation. Is it procreation? The children, is that the reason why we get together? Partly, but not entirely. Is it because we're attracted to one another and we find each other just pleasant to be with? Yes, in part, but not entirely. The foundation of marriage is not just affection or procreation or attraction. It is divine design that comes the closest to mirroring the picture between Christ and his church. It is a bond that is intimate and a source of God's blessing. Verse 7, we, we read him quoting from Genesis that it's important for us to cleave when we're involved in marriage. That marriage involves a certain unity, a joining together, a making of a covenant, a public vow of faithfulness and commitment that extends into the future, pledging permanent fidelity. As I said before, it's the vows at the wedding service that everyone is the most interested in hearing. And I've known over the years as I've conducted weddings that when we get to the vows, the room gets quiet. And people just look a little more closely, lean, stretch a little more closely so they can be sure to hear the man and the woman exchange this covenant and cleaving expression. Two are going to become one. It's a beautiful thing. It's God's design. And he wants to bring people together in this way. One of the best and most beautiful descriptions I've seen of this particular aspect of marriage, the centrality of the cleaving and the joining together, is found on the cover of your bulletin. I invite you to turn with me now there to the cover this morning. To an extended quote from Lewis Smedes' book, on caring and commitment. I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in in all of secular literature about what's going on as we exchange our vows and as we come together in marriage. And this should be our vision of what marriage is is involved with. Now, barring, of course, disease or death, he's going to talk about, in this passage, he's going to talk about commitment between one man and one woman over time. Of course, disease or death can break that commitment, but assuming that both remain married in the relationship and healthy and all, etc., this is what he has to say. I stretch myself into unpredictable days ahead and make one thing predictable for you. I will be there for you. I am creating a small island of certainty for you in the swirling waters of our uncertainties. It is the certainty of my presence with you I make space in my life for you that you will know that you know will be there waiting for you even if other every other place is crowded. These are some of the things I do when I make a commitment to another human being. How strange it is when you think about it that a mere human being can take hold of the future and fasten one part of it down for another person. The ordinary person can live their lives a good notch above their whims and their impulses and their desires and secure their lives together in the face of all the fretful fates that lie in waiting. How wonderful it is that we can offer each other one mooring 
and we face our free-floating futures, the mooring of trust in each other's commitments. We have a mystery on our hands, no doubt about it. It is the mystery of how we, weak and limited persons that we are, can look all the uncertainty of life full in the face and say, I will make one thing certain, my presence in the life of another person. I don't know what the future holds in sickness and in health and joy and in sorrow, but I will be there. This is profound. This is magnificent. This is a full-throated and huge commitment to another person. And frankly, it scares people to death. Don't want to do it, especially the men. I don't want to make that kind of commitment. But that's what the Bible calls us, calls us to make. One man, one woman, now and always, together forever. Changes will come, no doubt. The day after the wedding, change will begin. But I am making a commitment to be there and to be moored in your future. God willing, if my life, if he lets me live, I'm going to be there and we're going to face what comes together. This is the basis and foundation of marriage. And this makes it a lot more than just a social convention. Christian marriage is not based on human tradition. Although we are influenced by what our parents did and what is happening in the culture around us, our parents might not have had a very good marriage. It may have been flawed deeply, but the design for Christian marriage nevertheless is there. And what is its purpose? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to the wife. It's not good that the man should be alone. So ultimately, it's a matter of friendship. Ultimately, it's a matter of joining together. One flesh refers not only to physical unity, but also to relational unity. Now, we need a friendship besides the spouse. Our friendships in life are not necessarily limited to the one we are married to. But the essence of our relationship with the man and the woman and the woman with the man is friendship and connection. It's based upon the loving, sacrificial giving of one to another. And that's what God builds on. And that's his purpose. Now, it's possible, of course, to be, as I said before, single and satisfied in other friendships and and not everyone is called to marriage and happiness is not dependent upon being married in the Christian life. But we do need unity. We do need relational contact and that comes primarily in the marriage relationship. Within the faith and friendship, depth your friendship within the faith, Mary within the faith, as I say, or your friendship death will be severely limited. This is why Paul writes that we should marry and not be unequally yoked. This is why the, the, the Lord forbade the Israelites from intermarrying with the Canaanites. It wasn't that they weren't attractive. It wasn't that they weren't prosperous and in every way appealing. It was because of the deep inner division that would come between light and darkness, between faith and doubt, 
between loving God and hating him. So young people yet to be married, look for someone who is a friend first. You will be taught to look for other things. And you will be taught to evaluate potential mates in terms of other criteria. But the Bible says that we were designed and we were given marriage as a gift so that we might have that lonely place met. So that we might have someone we could share life with, someone we could talk to, someone who could hear us, someone who could really know us. Let us be reminded that sex is designed to grow out of marriage, not the other way around. And these days, when sex seems to be one of the highest criteria for making this decision, we can understand why there's so much wreckage and how false that teaching is and the brokenness that results. God designed marriage between a man and a woman. I haven't gone into the same-sex business. I hope we're not going to have to spend time on that. A man and a woman come together under him, trusting in one another and leaning upon each other as faithfully friendship builds in Christ. This means that marriage reaches a priority among all of our relationships. No longer is the man and woman under the authority and close proximity of their parents. A man shall leave his father, a woman shall leave her father and mother and come together and become one. Now during World War II, my wife's parents lived, while he was away in the military, the mother lived in the same house with her parents. It was a two-apartment flat in St. Louis. And one of the challenges of their young marriage, as soon as he came home from World War II, was to separate from that experience because it was no longer economically and practically necessary. It was spiritually important that there be some distance. And parents who will not allow distance between them and their children who are married are in for trouble. Man shall leave his father and mother and join to one another, cleave to one another and become one flesh. Meddlesome parents are not funny. We make jokes about it, but it's painful. Stay out of your children's business as much as you can. God's design is that they would come together and be joined together and become a separate unity, unit. It's not easy because you're used to telling them what to do. Believe me, I know. I've been through it three times, almost four. (laughs) I have a lot of opinions. There's a certain way that I like to do things. It's very tempting to tell them what to do. Especially, well, it's it's very tempting. This also means that the marriage relationship takes priority over the children. None of these things are wrong. I mean, parents, relationships with parents and relationships with children are supposed to be as close as possible, but not primary over the marriage. For when the children become more important than the spouse, lots of problems. 
The spouse has to be primary. This is the, this is the picture that we have in the scriptures. That the, that the relationship between the man and the woman would be the preeminent one in the social structure of the society. And when that's distorted, lots of problems. So if you are married, your relationship to your spouse must be primary. Application, God also relates to his creation and unbelievers, but relational unity with his church was and is his first priority. So the picture he has of his church is of a bride and a bridegroom. That's how close he wants it to be, and he wants the bride and bridegroom to be close too. If marriage becomes secondary, many other important things fall apart. But this passage is also about divorce. And so Jesus quotes from the Old Testament and says, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. The marriage union derives its sanctity from the fact that behind it stands the authority of God. So we must take seriously the commitments and promises that we've made and not allow third parties and work and hobbies to pull us apart. Some would tell us today that divorce is natural, almost normal as it's become so popular, a little bit like changing clothes. You know, you just lay down one garment and take up another. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you take down one garment and take up another, you're involved in a very deep split. He calls it essentially an amputation. You're cutting off your arm. If you've been through divorce, you know how this feels. It's horrible. Whatever the reason for it, it can be survived, but it not, should not be entered into lightly ever because it's never as easy as people might tell you. Divorce might be the lesser evil in your case, but it is never something to rejoice in. It may be something that we have to turn to because of certain requirements and certain, certain awful situations. And, this, and as Jesus said, what did Moses say? Moses had to take up this matter because our hearts are hard, our hearts are sinful. And divorce is one of the realities of life. But it should never be considered to be light and easy. We have in our society now no-fault divorce. So the state takes no interest in these things. But God does. And when he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate, he means don't cut your arm off if you can help it. It will not feel good. It will not go well. As I say, and as Jesus says in verse 5, it sometimes is necessary for life because hearts are hard and because this world is full of sin and the brokenness of relationships even within the marital bond are very serious and severe in some instances. There are times when divorce is the only option. He gives grounds for divorce, and he says there are two. Matthew 19, the matter of adultery, and 1 Corinthians 7, there is the question of desertion. And God even uses the term himself in Jeremiah 3 when he says when he, at the great brokenness of his relationship between him and the Israelites, he says, I'm going to give you a certificate of divorce. I'm going to cut off my arm and send you into captivity as it were. 
So great has the brokenness been. So divorce is not the uh, unforgivable sin or unpardonable sin. But it's much more devastating than we are led to believe. Much more seriously damaging than some will tell you. He has redeemed David's sin with Bathsheba, and he can redeem our past as well. I hope you haven't heard me this morning as we've come this far in the message speaking only idealistically about the way the world ought to be. What I've tried to do is speak realistically to you and tell you this is what the Bible says about marriage. It's God's idea, and he regulates it. What he says about it is, is definitive. It's between a man and a woman, and it's for the purposes of deep friendship and loneliness provision. It may include children, it may include many other good things, but its, it's ultimate and central purpose is for relationship and, and addressing this word called loneliness and alienation. And in the depth of the marital relationship, there is great satisfaction, for it is based and mirrors somewhat upon the relationship between Christ and his church. Now, we said this morning in our confession of sin, and we acknowledge openly, there are times when you and I have problems with God and what he does. And there are, will be times when we have problems with our spouses and what they've done. But that doesn't wash away the commitment that's there. And God continues to strengthen and build bridges and bonds with us as we walk with him. So also the husband and wife must seek each other and seek those bonds together. This passage ends with a difficult statement about anyone who divorces his wife, marries another woman. I, I have, I, there are some things I am not going to go into today. I, I don't think that, that statement doesn't stand alone. It has to be taken within the context of Scripture. And the context of Scripture is that there are some cases where divorce is legitimate. There are some cases when divorce is sanctioned by the Lord. He regulates it. He tells us what those are. And it's not because we find our spouse displeasing in some way. But deep desertion, physical violence, adultery with another person, these things gnaw at the center and core of the marital relationship. So when our sinfulness, as I say in the application, when our sinfulness traps us in a position in which all the choices still open to us are evil and we choose that which is the least evil, we must ask for God's forgiveness but not pretend that the evil is good. God loves to redeem the worst possible situations, so don't give up or give in even if your marriage is troubled. No one ever came to him, was cast out, and treated as if they were unimportant or their needs were not necessary and, and vital to him. This is something for evangelism. When I was coming up and growing up, marriage was simply, at least to my mind, something that everyone did because of the tradition of it. I had to be taught from the scriptures God's design and his purposes in marriage. I had to learn this. And our culture needs to hear this from us, from him. 
The interpretation of these things is very practical. It's on people's minds. As I said, the, the, the desire to be married is very deep within human beings, even if they don't have any idea what they're doing. I'm reminded of a distant relative recently who went to Las Vegas to get married. They got married in the back seat of a limousine in a drive through chapel. Crazy stuff. I mean, really, I don't know if the guy looked like Elvis or not, but they had somebody make him, somebody brought the marriage together. It's recognized in the state of Nevada. I mean, crazy stuff. But there, there's a desire to grow, to, to be married, to have some relational connection. And in, in many cases, it's just as crazy and misguided as that. So we now have same-sex marriage. Why not? If you're going to throw out the Bible, you might as well. If you're not going to pay any attention to how the Bible regulates marriage, then anything goes. Really. And the only reason that it's between a man and a woman is because God says so. The only reason that it's a permanent, exclusive union is because God says so. The only reason that it is, that it is reaching at the depth of our need for the answer of loneliness is because God designed it that way. So we have an evangelistic opportunity to say this to our culture. All kinds of crazy ideas are out there. And frankly, most young people, are, they're, they're marrying less often and later than ever in recent years. I don't need it, they say. Yes, they do. If they're called to it, it's a good thing. Can I be happy without it? Yes. As long as you're a celibate. But if you compromise, if you twist, if you change these things, then it will hurt you as it's hurting our culture. Brokenness everywhere. Marriages, relationships, etc. So Jesus' words still stand. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave together with his wife and become one flesh, which means more than the physical union. It means the deep, abiding, perpetual union of man and wife. And that's God's design. And our world needs to hear it because they're hearing all kinds of other stuff. And it's wrecking it's wrecking America. It's wrecking the West. It's wrecking us. It's a great enemy. May the Lord enable us to build Christian marriages, and may he enable us to tell of the truth of the gospel for others. Let us pray. Lord, I pray for our marriages here today. I pray that you will make of them something that pleases you something that, would, that is for great good in this culture and society, that you will use their children or any children they might have to be a blessing, that you would use your people to stand for the truth of the Scriptures in a day when almost anything goes. And for those who have been divorced, may they know that it is not an unpardonable sin that your grace is sufficient. And although the pain has occurred, 
And although there was fault, nevertheless, you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we would ask or think. You are, to take, you are able to take ashes and make beauty out of them. Oh, we praise you. And we ask, Lord, that you might use us as evangelists in this culture. And just this week as we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with the children who come to Bible school, may we also with our lives shine the light of his truth in our community. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.